by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. If you look at, at holidays, Right in the middle of, of the word holidays is there, there's an I there, right? Because it's about me and it's about you and, and we are the center of the season. And if you look at our series, which is about the holy days, you've got that big why there and we've been saying that he's the reason why we worship. He's the reason why we have these holidays. He's the reason why we have these, these seasons of what should be gratefulness and, and thankfulness and, and drawing the attention back to the Lord instead of... Uh, you know, kind of taking that attention and that praise unto ourselves. I guess the real question this morning is, you know, it may not be as blatant as, as what you saw this morning with, with the skit, but in reality, you know, are we closer to giving Jesus all the praise that he deserves, or are we closer maybe to what we saw this morning with taking some of that glory, taking some of that praise? Uh, when, it, when we talk about friends and family and what we got for the kids and what we got for ourselves and what you wanted and, and what you did or didn't get. Is the focus on you or is the focus on the Lord? Is the focus on what God has done? Even at, at Thanksgiving, you know, I'm, I'm kind of anxious and a little bit interested to see and to hear some of the stories. I look around this morning, I see quite a few people missing as if Jesus doesn't deserve their thanks after the week that they had. Maybe they're a little too full. Maybe they're a little too tired. Maybe they did a little bit too much family stuff and we're going to take some time off with the Lord. I wonder how many people have testimonies and stories after we've been going through this series for, for the whole month. Is the testimony one of God moving this week in you? Was the testimony of God moving on your families and you brought the joy of the Lord to the Thanksgiving dinner? You stood up and you prayed. You made sure that people gave honor and glory to God. You had some experience of forgiveness and thankfulness over this series. Or has Thanksgiving come and gone and we missed some of that? You know, we've been talking about it for a month. Somebody say amen. amen. Been talking about it for a month that we didn't want to miss what we had an opportunity to, to do uh, during this season, during this thankful, Thanksgiving season. And now we obviously are turning our, our eyes and setting our eyes upon Christmas. So I'm going to give you the same charge. I'm going to give you the same um, uh, encouragement, hopefully. Don't waste Christmas this year. <laughs> Don't waste Christmas this year making it about you. Don't waste Christmas this year making it about our kids. Don't waste Christmas this year uh, with the same stuff that happens every year around the holidays. Let's be... Uh, who God's called us to be. Let's do what God has called us to do. Let's glorify him in the season. <clears throat> so we're going to finish our, our series or conclude our series this morning, uh, the Holy Day season, what you see up there. 
where we've just been changing our focus, making it about him. <clears throat> I've got a picture of, of where we've been so far. There's a calendar here that, can you put it up there for us, Zach? Or Isaac, there it is. So you've got this calendar of where we've been so far. So in the blue, you can see our normal calendar, our normal months. In the, in the yellow, you can see Israel's calendar of months. On the right side here, you can see the spring feast that we've already looked at, Passover, unleavened bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. And then on the fall side, at the other end of the year, you see tabernacles, or excuse me, you see trumpets, atonement, and then you can tell where we're going today is the only one that we haven't talked about, which is tabernacles, right? So each week what we've looked at is what God has established um, with Moses. He gives them the law, then he gives them these feasts, and he says every, every year, three times a year in these seasons, you need to come back into Jerusalem. You need to uh, give me praise. These are times of remembrance, times of celebration, of all the things that God has done, right? Then we looked at, so far each week, not only what God established with Moses and these feasts, but what they were foreshadowing. There's this New Testament fulfillment of these feasts and these reasons why everybody's been coming back into the city uh, every year. It's just the beginning of things that are going to be taking place in the future. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 4 says that there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So again, Hebrews 4, let me write it down for you. If we can get it up, please. Hebrews 8, verse 4 and 5 says, Priests who offer the gifts according to the law, they serve the copy and the shadow of heavenly things. So when you see these calendars and you see these feasts and you see the priests doing all the things we've been talking about for a month with different offerings and different festivals, the Bible says that it's just a shadow and a copy of what's ahead or what's above in the heavenlies. Hebrews 10, 1 says, The law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, it can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. He says, listen, we have a system, we have offerings, we have seasons, we have these things you have to do. He says, but it's just a shadow. You are not going to be made perfect by doing all the things throughout the year, by making it to every feast, by having the right offering, by being on time, by doing the ceremonial cleansing. You need to do it, but it's just a shadow. It's just preparing you for something. The key over and over as we've gone through this series is what was it a shadow of? What was it preparing us for? And then for you and I, are we living in that now? When you look at these seasons, are you living in the fulfillment or is it still just a shadow? Was Thanksgiving the fulfillment of everything God said that season was supposed to be for you? Or again, was it just another shadow of what God says it can be and should be. The last one is Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. It says this, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. We have festivals, we have new moons, we have these seasons, we have all these events that are going on. And if you don't happen to do everything that you were supposed to do, people would judge each other. You're not a good believer. You're not a good Israelite. We look at each other and say, you're not a good Christian. You didn't show up to church. You didn't show up for this. You didn't show up for that. He says, don't let anybody judge you because everything we do is just a shadow of something that's more important. And what it is, is the substance is Christ. If you have Christ, you have everything that matters. If you have all of these events and seasons and festivals and new moons and all the stuff that we've been talking about, but you don't have Christ, you've missed the whole point. On Friday night, 
had one of the most powerful services I think we've ever had in this church. It was a prayer service, praying in the spirit. Small group of people here, but I'm telling you, God was here. God moved. I was thinking as, and I even shared with, with the group that was here, that that's the time when you want to sing your heart out and maybe even be offbeat or off key or in another realm, do it on a Friday night prayer service. When we come to gather together, we worship together. When you want to pray over everybody and everything, come on a Friday night and pray like crazy all over the place. Go upstairs in four to six and pray before service like crazy all over the place. God is moving. Like, like Junior said, we went out there. We probably had the largest group on a, on a sidewalk sanctuary that we've ever had, right? 30 plus people showed up, including a bunch of kids that went out there, and we were able to do all those things. You want to go put hands on people? Go put hands on them. You want to, you want to go back to a back alley where people are shooting up? And tell them about Jesus and give them a lunch, then you can go and do those things. Amen. God makes all these opportunities, but like he says here, the substance is of Christ. If God's not in it, if God's not the focus, if Jesus isn't the reason why we do what we do, if Jesus isn't the reason for the season, we've missed it. If Jesus isn't the reason we're even here this morning, we've missed it. Somebody say amen. amen. So quickly, our last three weeks leading up to this week, in week number one, we saw the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover, right? He said, I'm going to put the blood over your doors. You'll put the blood over the door. You'll be passed over. You won't experience death when others who are not covered by the blood will experience death. Then he said, be ready to run. Have this unleavened bread that's not going to go bad because you are going to be on a journey through a wilderness and you need to be ready to go. When I come through and I set you free, you got to be ready to run. The fulfillment of that in the New Testament is like many of us. How many of you have seen people who have come into the church, said, made a profession of faith, I want to give my life to Jesus, and then you never see them again? You know why? Because they didn't really understand that they had been passed over and came from death into life, and they, didn't, they weren't ready to run with Jesus. They were ready for an emotional experience. They were ready for a song that made them cry. But they weren't ready to get into the word of God, who's the bread of life that you need to sustain yourself. If you're not reading your Bible, you have no unleavened bread. Does that make sense? There's a New Testament fulfillment. We can all show up and paint our doors whatever color we want to paint them. We can come in and out of the church and say that we are Christians. But unless when he passes us over and gives us life instead of death, we get into the word of God that sustains us and we never turn back from that. And it only grows deeper and deeper. Right? What happened in the, in the Old Testament is that the manna literally was falling from heaven just like the word of God. And then it says when they got to a certain place and a certain point, the manna stopped falling from heaven and they had to plow the ground in order for food to grow. Many of us as Christians, right, we get covered by the blood. We have to get into the word of God and it really just starts raining down. Some of the new salvations that I've been talking about, talking with people about, you should see how they're hungry for the word. I told, I told one young lady, hey, you should read the book of John. She called me a day and a half later. I'm done. <laughs> Many of us won't read. She got into a course. She went to the salvation course. I heard her testifying to somebody else. She already finished the salvation book within a week. You see the difference when people are hungry for the things of God and they're pressing in for the things of God. And they know I've been passed over and God is real and I want more of him and I'm going for that. You know, the Bible says is right now it's just falling like manna from heaven for you. Eat it all up. But there's going to come a time in your faith where it's not going to be so easily falling into your lap and you're going to have to till the ground to get the things of God. Yep. That's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover is about. In week two, we looked at first fruits and we looked at Pentecost. First fruits were like, hey, God has given me something. I see it. I expect more to be coming. So I'm going to give back to the Lord of my first fruits. And Pentecost was 50 days after they got the word of God, they got the spirit of God, right? 
came in Acts chapter 2, came into the room. Everybody gets filled with the Spirit of God. God comes to dwell inside of these people instead of being an external God. There's this Pentecost. We talked about how important it is to know what Pentecost is, to know that it's seven full weeks after um, the Passover, to understand that when somebody says, are you Pentecostal, that's not a bad word. We all need to be Pentecostal. Somebody say amen. amen. Don't be afraid to come to a Friday night praying in the Spirit. You're Pentecostal. Either you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, either God has given you His Spirit, or what is it that you're serving? Amen. What is it that you're convinced of? If the Holy Spirit does not live inside of you and tells you that you are saved and tells you that you are covered by the blood and tells you that no matter what you do from now on for the rest of your life, you don't ever have to worry about going to hell. You are going to heaven because you're in the hand of God. If the Holy Spirit ain't telling you that, then what are you doing here? What are you doing in church? That's Pentecost. When that happens to you and you feel the Holy Spirit alive inside of you, you've had your own personal Pentecost. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be afraid of what others say about the Spirit of God and what the Scriptures say. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when Paul says, listen, I'll sing in the Spirit and I'll sing with understanding. I will pray in the Spirit and I'll pray with understanding. You know why? Because he had a Pentecost. He had this time where he went beyond knowing what God said and he felt God alive inside of him. So that was our week number two. In week number three, we looked at trumpets and atonement. This is the only one of the first three where they weren't called to come back into Jerusalem, right? Every time that they had these feasts, they had to get off of their butts, get out of their, their comfort zone, travel back to Jerusalem, wherever it all started, and they'd have to come and worship God. With trumpets and atonement, they could do it right at home because the trumpets were about remembering how wretched we are. Remembering where we've come from, remembering um, that without God, everything that he created so perfect and that we've just damaged and destroyed, right? And then he has this atonement, right? Remember we talked about the scapegoat? One goat is killed for your sin. The other goat, you put your hands on it, identifying with it, and it takes off. It's never to be found again. So the sin is paid for, and you get the mercy of God at the same time. The atonement is what our faith is, excuse me, centered on. The atonement of God. <clears throat> so important. If there's, if there's something that uh, we need to be able to explain, I don't know that you nev necessarily, I wish you could, I hope you do, can explain, you know, what God established with these two goats and, and this sin offering and, and all that kind of stuff and the atonement behind the veil. But you need to be able to explain somehow, either to yourself, to your own children. Like you saw this, this skit over here, right? I want to be able to explain to my kids that it's not just about letting Jesus get involved and giving him a moment on Christmas. It's, hey, we don't have a Christmas without him. Right. And let me tell you the greatest gift that he's given us is the atonement of our sins. Yeah. Right? There's a price that had to be paid, Nate. There's a price that had to be paid, Naomi. <clears throat> There's a price that had to be paid, Niall. Even already at your age, what you've done and the things that you've said and the way that you've thought and the way that you've acted, you deserve to burn in hell. And unless somebody atones for what you've done, you're going to have to pay for it at the end. Whether you die young or whether you die old, you're going to come before a judge and he's going to say, this is what, this is what you're guilty of. <clears throat> the, the, the cost of that is death and, and eternity in hell. You can never be in my presence. Or you're going to be able to say, I've been atoned for. Jesus lives inside of me. My sins have been atoned for. Do we understand atonement? Somebody say amen. <clears throat> so today... After all those things, we get to the progression. Week number four, like you saw in the picture, we're going to look at tabernacles. <clears throat> the Feast of Tabernacles, which again, uh, why don't we just pray? 
Lord, we thank you for the series. We thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, there's so much deeper for us to, to dig into what you have to say and why you've said it, Lord. What it is that you're trying to show us, Lord. You said that it's like a mystery that's been revealed to those who have open ears and open eyes who are seeking you out, that there's treasure to be found, Lord God. We didn't come to have our ears tickled this morning, Lord. We came to hear your word, Father God. We didn't come to be made to feel better about our situations or our circumstances, Lord. We came to be elevated above them, Lord, that you could show us what's ahead of us as your sons and as your daughters, Lord God. Your word says that we are sojourners and we are pilgrims, Lord God, that we are just passing through this world. This is not our eternal destination. This is not the end all and the be all, Lord. We may have some things and we may not have things at other times, Lord. Your servant Paul said that he's learned to live with things and learned to live without them, Lord. Let us be like that, Father God. As we look into your Feast of Tabernacles, Lord, I pray that you would open up a great gift for each and every one of us this morning, Lord God, that we would just be able to uh, dine with you and enter into a new place with you, Father God. As we finish this series, we believe that it's just the beginning of the work that you're going to do through it in each and every life and each and every family represented in this place, Lord God. We give you all of our heart. We give you all of our focus and all of our attention, Lord God. Let us be a people who will give you all the glory and all the praise and not take any of it for ourselves. We truly believe as we sing this morning, the King is here, Lord. We came to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Feast of Tabernacles, why do we have it? Why was it established? What is it? In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord, your God, in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks and at the Feast of Tabernacles. Say tabernacle. tabernacle. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. You know, uh, when it comes to our tithing, when it comes to our offering, I, I love this scripture because he says, look, don't show up empty-handed. The whole point of coming back to the Lord is because you know who he is and what he's done. So how could you show up empty-handed? How could you show up empty-hearted? How could you show up without a song? How could you show up without some praise? How could you show up without prayer? How could you show up without repentance? Somebody say amen. amen. I'm going to preach it today whether you want to hear it or not. Don't show up empty-handed. Don't come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of all, all creation, the Almighty One, with nothing. He's given you something. He's blessed you somehow. Even here what it says, you shall give according to the blessings. What he's saying is, whatever you have, you already tithe and offer off of that. But in addition to that, however you've been blessed, you better show up with some blessing for the one who's blessed you. So the tabernacles was one of the three feasts that the Lord commanded everybody to come back into Jerusalem. Slow it down for a minute. Stop whatever you're doing and come back physically and spiritually. There's this, this dichotomy. There's these, these two parts. It would have been easy for God just to say, you know what, just, just do this in your heart. Many of us, how long have we been, have any of us been in those seasons where you're out of church and you thought you were going to just be able to do it in your heart? <laughs> you thought you were, amen. You thought you were just going to be able to be just as spiritual and just as filled and, and, and be in the presence of God and, and be with the people of God in spirit but not physically. It just doesn't work that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why God says, in these seasons, you got to come back. I don't care how far away you moved, you need to come back. Amen. These are times of reflection and remembrance, celebration of who God is and what he's done for his people. Even on, on days like Thanksgiving, we had some folks here that have been gone for a long time. And not because of, of anything ungodly, they're just not physically part of this church. But I thought it was cool that they wanted to be here with the family on Thanksgiving. 
that they wanted to celebrate with us and remember what God has done in their lives here, right? So it's good to see that. And to me, it was just a reflection of what we've been talking about with these feasts where we come back. So listen to this. This is uh, Psalm chapter 121, and it starts off a song of ascent, right? So uh, when we say ascent, that means to go up. Say amen. amen. You ascend, or uh, an ascent is to go up. So this is a song that the children of Israel would sing as they were ascending. They were going back up to Jerusalem for one of the feasts. Somebody say amen. Does it make sense? If you read the book of Psalms, you'll see that often it says a song of David or a song of Korah or a psalm of Korah. And then it sometimes says a song of ascent. You can imagine them literally walking from wherever they lived and ascending up to Jerusalem. Listen to this. No matter where you were at in the world, you always go up to Jerusalem. So if you lived in the south, you went up to Jerusalem. If you lived in the north, you went up to Jerusalem. Why? Because you were ascending to the Mount of God. You were ascending to the place of God, to the house of God, to the temple of God. Somebody say amen. amen. So this is it's literally titled a song of ascent. So picture these people, one of the three times a year, possibly at tabernacles, ascending, and this is how they sing. Psalm 121, verse 1, a song of ascent. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence my help comes. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your, your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So they're singing and they're praising the Lord is my help. I'm going to the mountain from which my help comes from. In my going out and in my coming in, he's always with me. Just singing and praising on the way to the mountain. Were you singing and praising on your way to church this morning? I'm ascending to his mountain. I'm ascending to his tabernacle. My help comes from the Lord. I can't wait to be there. So why are they praising God, or what are they praising God for in this season of tabernacles as they ascend to Jerusalem? <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 13 says this, You shall observe the feast of tabernacles seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you surely rejoice. So stop there. First thing we need to know as a key of understanding tabernacles, it's about fruitfulness, it's about ingathering, it's about God blessing you with produce and God blessing the labor of your hands. The whole point of tabernacles, or one of the points, one of the keys is that you need to understand this is that after you've already reaped, after you've already seen the produce, after you've seen all the goodness and you've gathered it, gathered it in, you go and you celebrate before God for what he's given you. He blessed the work of your hands. If you get to this point in the year and you can't look back and say, God, you have blessed the work of my hands. 
the job that I went to, the kids that I, pray, I prayed over and I sent off back and forth to school every day, the friendships that I've been uh, cultivating this year. Has God blessed the work of any of your hands? Has anything had some produce? Have you been able to, to gather some things that were just seeds in the beginning of the year and now there's actual real fruit and nourishment coming from it? Tabernacles is that God has already provided. You know what he says? He says for everybody. He says, you bring your sons, you bring your daughters, you bring your whole family. He said, I don't even care if they're strangers within your gates. They got blessed by this produce as well. There's non-believers who are getting blessed right now from the produce of the lives of believers. Because you're kind, they receive that kindness. Because you're giving, they receive that, giving, that, that, um, that spirit of giving, right? Not everybody that we talked to at the park was a believer, but did they get a meal? How did they get that meal? Because something that used to be a seed in the life of a believer has now grown enough to produce something which is an effort to go to a park to talk to strangers they don't know. And then these non-believers actually receive of that blessing and of that fruit. Because God is producing something. We're gathering it in, but it's he who has produced it. He, Jesus is the substance. He's the reason for the season. Somebody say amen. amen. Can you put the calendar uh, back up? So, over here, you have this season of, of sowing, right? So, you sow this seed of Passover, right, where the blood goes over the, over the door, and, and you think, well, maybe something is going to grow here. We're not going to die. You have this, this seed of, of unleavened bread, right? It's going to sustain us for a short period of time. This, this seed of, of first fruits, where we just saw a little bit of something, but we're going to sow it back, believing that God's going to move. Then when you get to this other side of the year, this is where the seeds are harvested, where something is actually taken out, right? You get this trumpets and the atonement, where it started just with Passover, Right? Where your, your door got passed over. And then later on, what's actually harvested or taken out is the real atonement. Where the blood actually atones for your sin. It's not just over your door and you make a quick escape. Jesus is actually on the cross and you make eternal escape. Right? It was just a seed and now you get the fulfillment, the harvest of it. Same thing, same thing with tabernacles. Everything that you were hoping for, that you planted in the spring, is coming to fruition in the fall and you're harvesting it. Everything I wanted, every seed that I planted, now I'm actually receiving it. And the key to all of this is the Holy Spirit of God. The reason you have Pentecost between the seed that's sowed and the fulfillment of the harvest is because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that allows all these things to actually take place in your life. You need the seed of something you desire. You need the work of the Holy Spirit to do a miracle. And then you'll have a harvest and end gathering of all the things that you've ever desired. These are not just holiday seasons. Let's come back into the into Jerusalem three times a year. God is trying to accomplish something. God is trying to establish something. And I'm trying to tell you this morning that if you can get it, if you can grasp it, you can bear fruit every year. You can have a harvest every year. When I look at my salvation, I don't know. I do know why it is. I'm not going to say that I don't know why it is, but it's gotten better every year. The harvest is better every year in my salvation. I've been saved for 13 plus years, I think it is. And I, I feel bad when people look back on their salvation and, and the best years are behind them. Remember when God was doing this? Remember when God did that? Remember when he gave me a relationship? No, it should, the Bible says glory to glory. Amen. Glory to glory. But you know what it is? Some people can't farm. Some people don't understand that you got to sow seed. 
and that the Holy Spirit has to do something, so you need to be praying in the Spirit. You need to be asking the Spirit of God to do something. And then it's still labor to harvest these things. As a pastor, I spend a lot of my time, I think there's probably a better word than this, but I'm just going to tell it like it is. I fight with people all the time. All the time. Not just regular people who just want to come in and hear the word, but I'm talking about leaders. I'm talking about ministry leaders. We fight all the time. Why? Because there's work involved in harvesting. It's not easy. When you want to see 30-something people show up to a park to hand out sack lunches on the week of Thanksgiving, that doesn't just happen. You have to fight for that. You have to labor for that. You have to keep going when only three people show up. You have to tell a man of God who's taking time away from his family, taking time away from his kids, right? Preparing all these things and you have to sit down with them and we got to actually fight and wrestle and say, we can do better. You can do better. This isn't good enough. There's more God wants to do. We have to be more prepared. Why? So that we can have a harvest later. These are seeds that have to be planted. And a lot of people would rather go places where there's no fight and there's no wrestling. But I guarantee you this, there'll be no harvest either. There'll be no harvest. What you'll have is the shadow, so it looks like it's all there and it looks like another season and another year and another holiday season, but the actual substance will not be there. The same is true, not in just in the church and just in ministry, but in your own salvation. If you do not fight, if you do not wrestle, there will be no harvest. Fields don't, don't just produce, they got to be plowed. So is this feast of tabernacles, how important is it really to God, right? I mean, these other ones seem pretty important. You got the Passover and you've got this uh, atonement. It's like, man, look, look at these things that are happening. How important is tabernacles to the Lord? Zechariah chapter 14 verse 16 says this. It shall come to pass that everyone who was left of all nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. But they shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. If you don't keep this feast, not just physically, because we're not keeping that feast physically, but listen, if you do not come up to keep this feast spiritually, there'll be no rain, but there will be plagues. It's important to God. He says, I don't care where they come from, where they've been dispersed to, they better come back here to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. If they don't, no rain, just plagues. Is it possible? Because when I look at America, I see that we're still fruitful. Somebody say amen. amen. I see that we still produce. I, still, I see that we still have industry. I see that we don't have um, rampant hunger. We have hunger, but it's not because of lack of produce. It's because of a lack of giving where maybe it belongs. But we don't have a lack of, of produce in this nation. Is it possible that that could be because there are Christians in this nation who spiritually, year after year, have a feast of tabernacles? 
There are Christians this, this year, I don't know if you were one of them, but I know that for me and my family, we praise God for providing this year. We made it a point to talk to him about everything that he gave us. We didn't eat a single meal without, not just without saying grace, Lord, like my son says grace, Lord, help us have a good day. Let us have money for the ice cream man and thank you for the food. <laughs> That's his prayer all the time, pretty much. So I'm not talking about just saying grace. I mean, like, literally thinking, God, another year. Like, we still have a home to go to. We still have vehicles. We still have jobs, God. Like, we still have good relationship between me and my wife, Lord. We still have good relationship and influence over our children. We haven't lost them. Lord, you have, you have produced, you have rained down on this family, and we are so thankful so imagine when the Lord looks at our nation, you know, when, when, he, when he smoked Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Abraham was like, well, what if there's 10? What if there's 50? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? Lord, just let me, one more question. What if there's only five? Will you spare it for five? You know what God said? He says, if there's five, I'll spare it. And you know why he smoked it? Because there wasn't even five. There was nobody in that nation, in that city, who had a feast of tabernacles where they came back and said, God, thank you. I know for a fact there's at least five in our country. <laughs> there's this produce, there's this rain that falls on us continually, but Christians, we got to recognize it ain't because we have the best government, and it ain't because we have uh, the best systems. It's, it's because there are believers here, Amen. and God sees us. <laughs> for you and your family, during this holiday season, is it a holiday season or is it a holy day season? When you look back at this week, did you sing a song of a sense coming into Thursday? I really want you to think about that for a minute. I took the week off because I wanted to be with my family. I usually have to, you know, work my vacation time, but God's even produced and blessed and rained on, on that with my work situation. But I took this week off and it wasn't just so I could lounge around and eat, which I did. I feel like, maybe it's because of this series, but I feel like we sang this song of ascent this week. Got time off, people asked me to do certain things, I said, no, I'm, I'm gonna be with my family. Some old friends asked me to go play basketball, I took my whole family with me. <laughs> we went to see a bunch of different people at a bunch of different places, our whole family was together. On Friday after the Thanksgiving day, we came here cleaned the church, decorated, did stuff, and then we had prayer on Friday night. It was like this spiritual song of a sense, like, Lord, we are coming up to where you are Amen. to thank you for all that you've done. Amen. And before we even know it now, we don't get to go back down. I'm ready to start ascending up to Christmas to thank God for birthing him into the world. Man, I pray that all of us would be singing with our lives a song of ascent, especially in these seasons. Somebody say Amen. <laughs> So there's a little bit more to say the Lord does about tabernacles, and then we'll see the shift. Every, every week we've seen why he established it and what he was doing, and then this shift into the New Testament kind of fulfillment. So a little bit more, and then we'll get into the shift. This is Leviticus chapter 23, verse 39. 
It says, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, so we're talking about tabernacles, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest. On the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees and buffs of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. He says, party, have a great time. Look at everything he did, all the labor that you did, how he blessed the labor, how you gathered and you weren't just lazy and, and ate what you needed. You gathered and you stored and you prepared, right, for the winter. All that, he says, now I want you to go out and just have a great time. Celebrate. Then he says, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths. For seven days, all who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So he adds this extra layer onto it. He says it's about ingathering. It's about the produce, and it's about blessing God for all that he's given you. And then he says... But by the way, when you come, I want you to dwell in a booth, right? I want you to build these little huts out of leaves. And for seven days, while you're partying, having a good time and having this feast, you ain't coming in and staying at the Holiday Inn or the Hampton or Doubletree. Who stays at nicer hotels? I don't know anything beyond that. But he says, no, 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 don't come and stay with your cousin. Don't, don't wait till you get back to, oh, we're going back to Jerusalem. Are we going to stay in the hotel we stayed in last time? No, at the Feast of Tabernacles, you're going to stay in a little hut, you and all your family. Why? Because when I took you out of Egypt, you didn't stay in hotels. You didn't go from, you actually physically, things got worse. You wanted to go back because you had a grip of food. You had coverings. You had houses. You had dwellings. Even the fact that you have doorposts that you could put blood on. You were slaves, but physically you were pretty well taken care of. When I took you out of Egypt, we were in the middle of a desert, and you put a hut together for you and your family, and I provided for you. He said, I don't ever want you to forget where you've come from. How many of us have forgotten where we've come from? I love Junior's testimony. He says, but for the grace of God, I wasn't that far from where they are. That's, right. That's called tabernacles, church. Amen. That's called being able to, to be living in a different place. But once a month, this brother goes to where these other people are, and he tabernacles with them. Amen. You're in a hut, I'm in a hut. You're living out here on the streets. I want to tell you that I used to run the streets and be in the streets. And we're not better than you. And God's going to consistently bring me back to where I started so that I can remember who he is and what he's done. We ain't ready to tabernacle. He says, you got to be able to tell your kids. I don't want you to have to go back to that. But if you won't tell your kids and make it clear where we've come from and how we got here, I'm going to help you by saying once a year, you're going to go do it for seven days. That's why it's so important to involve our kids in the things that we're doing. Somebody came to me and asked me, is it going to be safe enough to go out to this particular park? Which is a good question. Like, don't be ignorant. You need to know where you're going. We're going to go Skid Row. Is it going to be safe enough? Are we going to have enough men to protect us? Those are good questions. However, my, my next response was, hey, I'm taking my kids. I'm not going to shield them from the world that they really live in. I'll be there to provide and to protect them, but they need to see, like, when we tell you you're going to eat all your food and you get an attitude, I'm not just mad that I cook the food. I need to give you perspective on those that don't have food. 
When you're talking about what your friend has, whether it's a video game or a nicer house, I need to be able to show you that there are people that don't have houses at all. That's what God is saying here when he says, bring your children back and make them sleep in these booths for seven days. They get the celebration of all that God has provided, but they get the physical understanding that it came through some pretty dramatic circumstances. I feel as if this message might be a little bit challenging, but I want, to, I want us just to see like how many people are in church and they just have no idea and their kids have no idea. I want to know what I'm here for and why we come into this place and what it is that God's trying to do and, and how to help him do what he's trying to help me do with my family. Somebody say amen. So Tabernacles is not only about this in-gathering and this fruitfulness, but it's also about this exit from Egypt where God says, I'm going to take you out of that, and then I'm going to prepare you in these booths, in these mini tabernacles for the promised land. Like, I can't just take you out of Egypt into the promised land. There has to be this preparatory period in your life. Many of us, whether you know it or not, you are still in the preparatory period of your walk with God. You're wondering why you haven't gotten everything that you've desired and the reality is, is maybe you haven't been tabernacling. You know how long it took the children of Israel to take what they say should have been at most a three-month journey? Forty years of, of booths in the wilderness. And they could have been in, in three months. Many of us have a testimony of you've been saved for ten years and you're still in a booth. Amen. You're still in a wilderness at least. <laughs> So they continued to forget. They stayed 40 years in the wilderness. Then once they did make it into the promised land, they didn't take all the promised land. And then once they got into the promised land, they did what a lot of people do, which is say, let's forget about God and make it about us. Right? And what we like and what we want and get the glory that we can. So you know what God kept doing? He kept sending them into captivity. Oh, the word is so good. It's like, how many times has this happened to us? Like, it was so good. And then next thing you know, like, how do we get back in captivity? How am I a prisoner again? Everything was going so well until I forgot about God. So one of these times that they've gone into captivity after being in the promised land, and now they're coming back out, this is what happens to many of us, and it's just God-ordained. When you come out of captivity, you're like, I'm never going back. <laughs> like, God, I'm down now, for real. I know where I made my mistake. I'm going to tabernacle. I'm going to atone. I'm going to have first fruits. I'm going to have feasts all the time. This is what they said coming out one of these times. This is Nehemiah, verse, or chapter 8, verse 13. It says, on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Then the people went out, brought them, and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house, or in their courtyard, or the courts of the house of, of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. 
and there was very great gladness. Also day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Listen, they go into captivity. It says from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, which is Jericho, they had great deliverance. God moves. They take the land, and you know what it says? They stopped tabernacling with God. They stopped being thankful. They stopped going back, and for all these years, they hadn't done it, and where were they? They were in captivity with no rain and no produce as slaves again. When they came out, it was by the word of God that they realized, they said, hey, we're supposed to be in booths. They're reading the word of God as they come out of captivity. It says, hey, it's the seventh month. We should be in booths. They tell everybody in the city they start doing it, and there's a, a joy and a gladness when they start doing what God wanted them to do. They're living by the word of God, right? And then it says that they, they every single day they opened up the law of Moses, and they would just read it to the people. For years they were doing church with no word. And they were hungry for it. Give us the word. What does it say? If it says booths, let's go make booths. If it says it's the seventh month and we need to have a feast to the Lord, let's have a feast to the Lord. How many of us are at that point where it's just like, what does it say? And that's what I'm going to do. Amen. It doesn't matter how I feel. Amen. It doesn't matter that it's an inconvenient time because I had another thing planned for this particular time of the year. No, if it says in this month at this time, you don't make other plans this month at this time. If it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, you don't get to stay angry with your spouse and let the sun go down. If it says, don't spare the rod with your children, don't spare the rod. If it says, don't lead them into anger, don't lead them into anger either. I really wonder how many of us are really led by the word of God. And you know what, though? If you ever lost it and couldn't get to it, you'd probably grow a hunger for it. Mary and I watched a movie called Silence this week. And it was just the most convicting thing I possibly have ever seen. The way that they had to serve God, how hungry they were for the word, for a priest to show up and they were willing to risk death just to be blessed by him. And we got it and won't read it. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And what's probably the most crazy thing is even our, even our, what I think are, are in many ways, don't take this the wrong way, but our curse of being affluent, our curse of being blessed, our curse of having uh, secure borders, our curse of having the word of God so accessible to us is still a blessing from God because he knows. He's like, I'm going to bless you anyway. You're going to be Americans. But you know what that does? It puts a great responsibility on us to say, if I'm not starving, I have to create a hunger. If you're a note taker, that's probably a good one. I believe it came from the Lord. If I'm not starving, I have to learn how to create a hunger. If you've got a table full of food, and this is just one of the things on it, maybe that's why God says you should fast and pray. Like, it's not that you don't have the food. It's that you have to deny yourself of the food. If you're not starving, you have to learn how to create a hunger. You can have anything you want, any meal you want. You can leave out of here and within, literally within five minutes, you can have more food than you can eat. Amen. So how do you create a hunger for this? Amen. These people were starving for the word of God, couldn't have scriptures, couldn't have crosses, couldn't have Bibles, couldn't, have, couldn't say that they were Christians, hiding out in jungles, missionaries bold enough to go and, and be killed for going. 
but they knew what they wanted when they got there. Do you have the word? Do you have scriptures? Do you have prayer? So it wasn't as easy as coming out, getting the word, and everything just unfolded perfectly for them. Listen to how Ezra describes this same period. And I want you to see the, the brokenness and the, the desire they had to have tabernacles and the desire they had to have a temple and to have worship. This is Ezra chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, When the seventh month had come, tabernacles, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and his brethren, arose, and they built the altar of God, of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 3, though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening burnt offerings. They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. Stop there real quick at verse 6. So picture this, they've come out of captivity, they're free, but they're in a bunch of different nations, they, they're reading the word of God, they say, we've got to get back to Jerusalem, they go, and the, the temple is in ruins, completely destroyed by those that took them captive, you know what it says, they were afraid of all the people who were living in the city, but they said, we've got to offer to the Lord, they found the, the uh, brazen altar, they built a small altar so they could make offerings, but everything else is in shambles, imagine showing up to church, and the whole place is burnt down, and everybody's like, hey, we're going to see you next week, no, we're we're not going to see you next week. It's tabernacles. What we're going to do is we're going to sweep the dust off of the altar real quick and we're going to sing and worship and we're going to find a Bible and we're going to praise God and then we're going to have an altar call and give him glory. Amen. That's the difference between like what these people are doing in fear. They just found the altar and said, we've got to make an offering to God and it's got to be here because he says this is the place he chooses and this is the season he chooses. Verse 7, they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come up out of the captivity to Jerusalem, they began work. Say work. work. Say work. They began work and they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Listen, they come out. There's no church. It's in ruins. They build an altar so that they can pray. And then they all start making offerings, saying, we got to rebuild the temple. <clears throat> 20 years and older of the Levites were the priests to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. These ain't kids or young adults. We shouldn't treat them like kids or like babies. At 20 years old, they were overseeing the work of the church. Then Jeshua, his sons, his brothers, with his sons and the sons of uh, his sons and brothers, arose as one to oversee the working on the house of God with their sons and their brethren, the Levites, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. Listen to this. 
The priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever as they faced toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, they wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. They've been in captivity. God showed them favor to bring them out of captivity. They go back uh, with Ezra, right, leading as a scribe, with Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. They start to rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple. It starts with just a place of offering where they can give God glory for everything that he's done, even in such a terrible time in their life. And then it says, as they started to build, as soon as they laid the foundation of the temple, people start shouting and singing and praising because they see the first fruits are the beginning of what God is going to do. That there's going to be a harvest here, that there's going to be a temple. And then it says this, that some of the old people that knew the old temple before it was destroyed and before they went into captivity, they're crying. Amen. Imagine never thinking you'd see this again. Amen. Everything that God meant to you being destroyed, and now here you are and watching it be rebuilt, and they're crying and crying. And other people who didn't experience that, now they're going to have a tabernacle, they're going to have a place to meet with God, and they're singing and shouting. This is a picture of what the church should look like in many ways. Those who remember the times of old and we see them coming again because it's cyclical, it's another year of harvest, and those who are just coming in and saying to themselves, somebody said it, I'm not going to say who it was, Desiree, she said, this is my first year of serving at a Thanksgiving dinner and I'm excited to be there. Amen. And some of us were crying because it was here again. <laughs> remember, this is all still Old Testament though. Why are you crying over a foundation? Why are you crying over an altar? There's a greater glory. This is just a shadow. Somebody say shadow. shadow. All of this power, all of this presence, all of this praise and these offerings and all the stuff that God is doing. And then he says this. It's just a shadow of something that's going to come later. And you know who that later is for? For you guys. Imagine everything they went through was just for the shadow of what God says. It's no longer a shadow. I have, I've given the real thing to you already. That's where we live. So let's get on to the New Testament and we can start to bring this down to a close. But in order for us to get from the old to the new, let's have a little bit of transition. This is the transition. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 21 says, Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and I'll gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided in two kingdoms again. Remember they had Israel and Judah divided into two, not one nation, but two nations of God's people, right? 
It says this in verse 23, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. My sanctuary is going to be in their midst, and my tabernacle will be with them. So if you take this, this transition, everything we know about tabernacle so far, when it is, why it is, how it is, how they lost it and started to get it back, God says, look, I'm about to do something new. Say new. new. Say new. new. God says, I'm about to do something new. I'm going to put my sanctuary right in the midst of them, and I'm going to put my tabernacle with them. They're going to be my people, and I'm going to be their God. Revelation 21.3 says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So in Ezekiel, you see the seed that something is going to happen, and God's going to make a new covenant, have this sanctuary in this tabernacle. At the end in Revelation, you see the, the actual uh, harvesting of it. He says, behold, God is with them. He is their people, or they are his people. He is their God, and he is tabernacling with them. So somewhere between the seed and the harvest, right, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember we talked about that earlier? In the beginning, you have the seed. At the end, you have the harvest. In the middle, you have Pentecost. You have the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we're going to close this morning. We're going to see the New Testament, New Covenant, work of the Holy Spirit, fulfillment of tabernacles in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, New Testament. In verse 1, I love it when the story gets to Jesus. Somebody say Amen. John 7 verse 1 says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, these are his real brothers. Those of you who think that, that Mary and Joseph didn't have other kids, these are his real brothers. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. His brothers are hating, right? We all know what that's like. You've been hated on by family. You've been hating on your family too, though, so don't, don't act like you. They said to him, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is already, or excuse me, but your time is always ready. 
The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Stop there for now at verse number 9. So his brothers are hating. Go up there, show them who you are, show them what you can do. He says, listen, I ain't going anywhere, but your time is always ready. At any time you choose, you can be a real believer. You should already be at the feast because you should be going to tabernacle. You should be going to give God glory for who he is and what he's done. What are you waiting on me for? You have your own walk to walk out. You go up to the feast. Jesus says, my time has not yet come. I'm not going to the feast. He says, the world hates me. They want to kill me down there. You know why? Because I don't just walk around like everything's okay. He says, I tell the world it's evil and that its works are evil. I tell people when I see them and they give me an opportunity to share, listen, that's called adultery. And it's wrong no matter how you want to justify it. Listen, that is unbiblical. That is not allowed. That is lying. That is homosexuality. That is stealing. Whatever it is, he says, they hate me because I don't just act like it's all good. My love is far exceedingly above your love. You think it's love to tell people it's okay to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it? Jesus says, no. Real love is to tell them you're going to burn in hell forever for what you're doing unless you put your faith in me, you repent, and you go another direction. He says, that's why they want to kill me. If you go down there, they're going to have a party with you because it ain't going to be the tabernacle with God and to give him glory. It's going to go to be part of the world instead of separate from the world. Isn't it interesting? When he's 12 years old, he goes for Passover and we hear this story about what he did and why he stayed and how he's teaching. Here he is as a grown man in the middle of his ministry and now it's the Feast of Tabernacles. He's still keeping these things. He's still engaged in these things because God said these are statutes forever. They're a shadow and they have to transition into the real thing. And this is the transition. So he stays in Galilee, it says, right? So how is it possible that Jesus, I just said that he's going to keep all these things. And it says that he stayed in Galilee. He's supposed to go up for the Feast of Tabernacles. Amen? Let's see what he does. Verse 10, same story. So when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast. Isn't he great? Do you love Jesus? Look, I ain't going to the feast. You guys go. You need to go. I'm not going. They want to kill me. It's not my time. It's not my season. I'm not going to the feast. I'm not going to keep it. You guys go. They walk out the door. He waits a couple minutes. He's like, man, I'm going to the feast. I can't not go to the feast. I know what the feast is. I know why we're going. I know the reason for the season. Like I'm not going to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm just not going to go how they want to go. I'm not going to go because they told me to go. And I'm not going to take part in what it is to them because it's something different for me. Oh, we need to know who Jesus is. When his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Look at this. What is tabernacles about? Why do we come every year to this feast for seven days? And why is it that right here in the middle of the feast, not the beginning and not the end, you had to show up on time and you couldn't leave early? Ooh. Help me, Jesus. Show up on time and don't leave early. 
in the middle of the feast of tabernacles, God comes into the tabernacle and teaches his people. Are we expecting anything? Were you expecting anything in the middle of your Thanksgiving Day season? Were you expecting God to show up in the middle of it and teach you something? Do you have high hopes for Christmas? Right in the middle, unsuspected and secret, he shows up, goes to the temple, and starts teaching. Verse 15, the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Jesus is in the church teaching, and they're saying, how does he know? We've been studying this from the time that we were born. We were raised as Levites and priests. We had to go through college to get this knowledge. And here comes this carpenter's son, and he knows things that we don't know. How is this possible? He says, I, I got my doctrine from the source. <laughs> like, you go to study about him. I am him. Amen. Him and I are one. I don't even open my mouth without his words coming out. This guy's in the church teaching. And then what does Jesus tell him? Moses gave you guys the law, and you don't even keep the law. He told you to come back here for these feasts, and that they were going to be a shadow of things to come, not just to come back for a week of celebration. Not just to come back and show the hierarchy of where the priests are, and where the Sadducees are, and where the rich, and where the poor are, and, and show everybody how they have to keep coming to you. One thing about the movie Silence, you know, I think I gained more respect for priests of all kinds because at the end of the day, either you love Jesus or you don't, and either you're willing to go where he tells you to go or you're not, and many of them obviously are. Somebody say amen. amen. However, on that side of it, praise God for all of them, past, present, and future. On the other side of it, you've got all these people who are hungry for God, and they have to wait for a priest to show up to give them absolution. And Jesus is saying, I came to complete that shadow. Like where you thought you had to keep doing all this stuff, I came to tell you that the tabernacle is here. The substance is Christ. The system is a week-long feast every single year. The system has to give way to the substance. Verse 19 he says, why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon who's seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. They want to kill Jesus because on the Sabbath, he had a man that was completely crippled and he made him completely whole. And Jesus is saying to them, look at how you guys live. You're playing church and you're not really serving God. 
He says, Moses gave you a law, and you're so focused on keeping Moses' law that if a baby's born and the eighth day happens to be a Sabbath when you're not supposed to do any work, you won't break Moses' law, but you'll break God's law of the Sabbath to circumcise that child. But here I come as God, and somebody's completely destroyed, and because it's the Sabbath, I make them completely whole, and you want to kill me because I broke the Sabbath? Your religion is jacked up. He says, don't judge like that. Judge with some righteousness. Some of them from Jerusalem says, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I'm from and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him. For I'm from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. They're trying to figure it out now. Who is he? Is he the Savior? Is he the Christ? They want to kill him, but they're not killing him, and he's speaking so boldly. And we know that he's Mary and Joseph's boy, and he comes from Nazareth, but we're not supposed to know where the Messiah is coming from. They start asking, praise God, the right kind of questions, but the house is divided. The great part about it to me, though, is that all this is happening at the Feast of Tabernacles, where if you come back to give God glory, you can wrestle with some of these things. People who don't know the truth can find the truth. I want to finish this chapter, verse 31. Many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? Think about that. Like, what are we waiting for? Is he going to heal more blind people? We've never seen that done. Is he going to open more deaf ears? We've never seen that done. Is he going to make more crippled people walk? We've never seen that done. Is he going to feed more multitudes of thousands with just a couple of fish and loaves of bread? We've never seen that done. What are we waiting for? Why are we hating on him? When the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You'll seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, You'll seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood, remember, Show up on time and don't leave early. On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, it says Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Stop there, verse 39. It's the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is here on the planet. He stands up and he cries out to everybody. Let me tell you why we have the Feast of Tabernacles. Why every year up until now you were required to come back to Jerusalem. That you were required to show your thankfulness for everything that God has produced in your life. And you were required to stay in booths and remember what he delivered you from. He says it's all been for me to come and say I am the tabernacle. I am the reason you come. 
If you thirst, you'll never thirst again. If you come to me, you will have a river of living water flowing from inside of you. He says, it's my Holy Spirit that I will give to you. That's what you came to get. You didn't come here for a feast. You didn't come here for a week-long celebration. You didn't come here for a history lesson to teach your kids. You came to get my spirit that you can only get from me, and I'm only going to be here for a little while longer. And if you don't get me now, you won't be able to find me later when you start looking. Every time I come into the church, I have this feeling or this realization that there's something to get now that I may not be able to get later. I didn't come to waste not a thing. I wonder what it was like for these people who came for the Feast of Tabernacles and they just missed this. The whole reason for the season, literally. The chapter ends, last few verses, John 7, 40. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, they said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ must come from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Before I even finish, that's verse 43. They knew what the scripture said, but they didn't understand that the scriptures were being fulfilled. Right? He did come out of Bethlehem. Remember there was a census and he had to go back to be born there? Right? Imagine being that close and just missing it. <laughs> there was a division among the people because of him. Some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. Think about this. They have the officers of the chief priests. They're like their own military. Remember Pilate said to them when they came to, they came to Pilate, they said, hey, you guys need to put a guard on the, on the, on the tomb or else the last deception will be worse than the first and he's gonna, they're going to take his body out. And Pilate said to them, you have your own guard. You go do it the best that you can. This is the, the, the church's guard. They have a security team. So they come to the church, priests and everybody, and they say to them, why didn't you get him? We told you when you see him, handcuff him and bring him to us. Why didn't you get him? And they're like, look, man, nobody's ever talked like this guy. He's the real deal. You want us to arrest him? I'm trying to serve him. Amen. You see what happens when you get right up against Jesus? Like, it doesn't matter what you've been tasked to do. It doesn't matter what your husband says or what your wife says or what your kids say or what your friends say or what your family says or what your, your place of employment says. If you get right up close to Jesus, what he says will be all that matters to you. They came back and they said, oh, yeah, I know what you tasked me to do, but I don't know if you've really heard this guy, but there's never, I've never met anybody like him, and no, I'm not going to arrest him. we got to get right up. That's, they, they actually, you could tell, they had tabernacle. A lot of other people didn't. These particular ones at least did. No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Man, the church is telling the people because they know the word and the people don't. They're saying because you don't know the word, you're going to be cursed. But the people are actually trying to follow God who's there. And the leaders of the church who know the word of God are not. That puts a lot of responsibility on me as a pastor. But I would say it puts more responsibility on you to know the word of God. I wonder how many people, when the priests are saying, you guys are going to be cursed, they turned their back on Jesus when they were almost going to follow him. Nicodemus, 
he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, he was one of the church rulers, he said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. The chapter ends there, and I think it's really telling a couple things. Nicodemus, who wanted to break away from what the church had always showed him and told him and taught him, he came to Jesus, and Jesus told him, you got to be born again. He says, how am I going to do that? Can I go back into my mother's womb? He says, no, it's water and spirit, water and blood. You've got to understand this, Nicodemus. You're supposed to be a teacher, and you should be teaching other people, and you don't even get it. Tabernacle with me. Walk with me. Let me show you. Let me teach you. And he became a disciple of Christ. And here at the end, at the Feast of Tabernacles, he's the only one in all the leaders. He stands up kind of and says, I don't think we should just kill this man. We should listen to what he has to say and see if it bears fruit. This idea of what it means to tabernacle with and to walk with God and to be one with God and to be led by God is a big deal. They said, nothing good is coming out of Galilee. Many of us come from places and we come from families where the same thing has probably been said about us. Has anything good come out of Galilee? Anything good come out of the Jarrett's, the Jorquezes, the McHale's, Eusis, Moreno's? Search the history books. Nothing good has come out of there. No prophets, no powerful men and women of God. That all changed with Jesus. The same thing changes in our families with Jesus. Amen. And then this is what it says at the last verse, verse 53 of John chapter 7. Everyone went to his own house. Everyone went to his own booth. Everyone went to his own tabernacle. Everybody went back to that place of, of isolation or that place that they had built to dwell. What is yours this morning? Your tabernacle, your booth, where you go to, to meet with God. Think about all the people that it described, from Nicodemus to the soldiers to the priests to the people. All of them were there for the Feast of Tabernacles. And what God was trying to say is, when you leave this place, if you have truly tabernacled with me, what did Jesus say? A river of living water will be alive inside of you. You leave with my spirit. How many left with the spirit of God? And how many of you, you leave this place with the spirit of God? Do we still come to the church to meet with God? Or do you bring God with you to the church? This last feast that they had to come every year, this feast of tabernacles, this feast of produce and ingathering and the, and the hand of God and the reign of God, and then Jesus says it's more than that, it's the, it's the spirit of God coming to dwell inside of you. Like this is the ultimate of all the feast, which I believe is why it's the last one. And it matters for us today. We don't need a building. And we don't need to find within the ruins of a building an altar to offer sacrifices on. If you tabernacle with God, if he lives inside of you, everything you do is an offering unto him. Everything you do is glory unto him. We sang a song. What are all the songs we sing today? One of them is, the king is here. Imagine you're singing on your way out, the king is here. And then when you leave out of the door, oh, he's not here anymore because he's... You can only sing that in the church, right? The king is here. Or everywhere you go, the king is here. We sing, you spoke life into our lungs, right? Like, 
if you tabernacle with God, if you get this and you know that he's with you, it changes everything. You have the fulfillment. So I want to worship, and I want to read these last couple of scriptures to you. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says, You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. When God says you are the temple, you are the tabernacle, you are the meeting place, I'll dwell in you. I'll be your God, you'll be my people. This is the fulfillment. Otherwise, it's just a feast, it's just a gathering. But it's more than that for some of us. There's always going to be a divided house, just like when Jesus was there and it says everybody was divided. Some believed in him, some said he was a prophet, some said he was the Christ, some said that he was, uh, uh, had a demon in him. There's all this division, right? I feel like that's how it is probably in every church. We have a different view and a different perspective on God. The perspective I pray for, for, for those who are here this morning, is that you would know you are the temple of the living God. He says, I'll dwell in them and I'll walk among them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You can sing the king is here when you're in the building and when you're outside the building. You can be the one to place your hands upon somebody and pray over them that they would be able to receive the, the love of God and receive salvation. He says, your life is not your own. You were bought at a price. Is that the God we come in to serve? And then the last one is Revelation chapter 3.20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To me, this is the ultimate fulfillment of, of tabernacling with God. He says, I want to come in. I want to be with you. I want to be in you. All you have to do is open the door and let me in. Let's not make this an external thing. Let's not make this a trip to Jerusalem three times a year. Let's not make this a... Uh, something ceremonial or religious. Let's make this intimate. Let's make it real. Let's tabernacle together. Like who can stop you if God is in you? How could you ever be depressed? How could you ever come into the church and not get what he has for you? How could you not worship? How could you not give? You will be the one that says, I'm weeping at the altar because I remember what he's done and I know he's going to do it again. You'll be the one that sees things that nobody else sees when people are just in their junk and in their mess. You'll see the glory of God. Look at Stephen being martyred. And what do you say? I see the heavens opened up. I see the Christ at the right hand of the Father while he's being stoned to death. Like, let's stop living on this low earthly pain and let's tabernacle with God. Amen. Let's be a people who are hungry for the word of God. They came out of uh, bondage. They came out of captivity, and it says when they heard the word of God, they just started doing what the word said, and every day they'd gather and say, read us more, read us more, read us more, tell us more, tell us more, tell us more. This series has had a lot of the word in it, but that's what you need. <laughs> this series has showed us a lot about feast and tabernacling and atonement and Passover, <clears throat> but that's what we need. We need a harvest.
And if you don't have seed, you'll have no harvest. There's a lot of places we can go and a lot of things we can do and a lot of places that we can receive church and religious stuff from. But God says it's, it's pretty simple. I give seed, you water it, and then I cause the increase, right? So let's stand. And I want to challenge you this morning. Two things. One, I want to challenge you and I want to pray for you that, uh, that you would really receive and really begin to walk and really begin to live in a place where you, you believe it, not just with head knowledge, but with life experience that you truly are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you want to tabernacle with God. I want you to picture your life not in the house that you normally live in, not in the, the bed that you sleep in, not in the car that you drive, not in the clothes that you wear, but imagine yourself coming out of death, coming out of Egypt, your personal Egypt, when you got saved, and here you are in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a wilderness, and it's just a tabernacle, just a few leaves covering you, but God says, this is the place that I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to come into that place and when everything physical has been stripped away, everything that you've depended upon, everything that's helped you get to where you are at this point in life, it's just me now that is going to fulfill you. Just you and the Lord. Can anything matter more to you this morning than being in a place where it's just you and the Lord? And then Jesus comes onto the scene and says to you, I don't want to just come in and out of this place every week with you. I don't want you to have to pack up this booth and this, this little tabernacle that you made and, and travel a few more miles and set it up again and then I'll come back in and, and dine with you. No, he says, I just want to put my spirit into you that wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever you are, we'll be together. I'll live inside of you. You will be a carrier of my spirit. I want to pray for those that would say, you need more of that. You come in and out of his presence. You feel the seasons and they seem to be like seasons where he's either there and then another season he's not there and you want to be and you need to be and you can be. I declare to you this morning, you can be in a place where he's always there. Always there. The movie I shared with you guys about silence, at one point the lead character said, when I thought the seasons of silence meant that you weren't there, in hindsight I realized that I felt you and, and heard you most in the times of silence. There's no season that you were not with me. Amen. So I want to pray for that. The other thing that I want to pray for is just for the work that's involved if you want to have a harvest. You got to plant seed. Paul said... I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the increase. God is going to bring the increase. You don't have seed unless God gives them to you. You don't even have water to water unless God gives it to you. But he still says, you plow, you water, you sow the seed, I'll cause the increase. We have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to stop thinking that the church is established to serve us. We are established to serve God. So as we worship, as we pray... I just want to pray for those that would come forward. 
the labor of walking forward to get the seed that God has for you. If you stay where you are, that's fine, but I'm going to pray for those that step out, that step out and say, I want to be in a place where God is with me all the time and I'm ready to do the work so that I can have a harvest. Year after year, I want to go from glory to glory. I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want the old seed. I want the new seed for this season. I'll labor, I'll water, and I trust God to give me an increase. Lord, have your way. As we release your people, Lord, we pray that you touch them, that you minister to them, Lord God, that we would have these seasons, these holy day seasons, Lord God, where we see you in a new way. We see you do things, Lord God, that we never thought were possible, Lord. We pray that we would begin to be men and women of expectancy, Lord God, that when other people are just seeing it get hot and seeing it get cold and seeing flowers bloom, seeing the leaves fall, Lord, that we see far beyond that, Lord. We see into the spiritual realm. We see into the heavenly realms, Lord, like Stephen, where he was able to say, I see the heavens open. I see the Son of God at the right hand of the Father. He said, accept my spirit. He said, don't charge this to them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. We want to be men and women who live on that plane, Father God. God, we trust you that this place is much like Galilee, Lord, where they would say, can anything good come out of that place? Can I receive this in the back of a, of a warehouse? Can I receive this, this word of God in this particular place, Lord, that we would see it the way that you saw Nazareth, the way that you saw Bethlehem, the way that you saw your child birth into this world, Father God. Let us stop being close enough, Lord God. Let us go all the way in. Let us not come and meet with you, Lord. Let us take you with us everywhere that we go. There's more that you have for us, Lord. Let us stop being casual participants in the shadow of the things that were to come. Let us realize that they've already come. Speak to our hearts this morning, God. Speak to your son. Speak to your daughters at this altar, Father God. The same way you met that woman at the well and you said, he whom you are waiting for is here. I am he. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me. Jesus, you made a way. For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.